Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Ali Afzal. He is the founder and head of growth for Winners Remote Staff. Ali is based in the UK and he sources staff from Pakistan and he is going through the journey of setting up this outsourcing firm. So we actually hear about his own um, exploration into this business and outsourcing uh, as he comes from a background in accounting. So we hear all about this journey uh, and his progress as he's going with this. It's It's a great conversation with Ali. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over three thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over five million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So Ali, tell me about Winners Remote Staff. Winners was created um, on the back of a a need to get back into self-employment for myself. And it was um, it, it was it was sort of like evolved out of a project that I was working on in my last uh, employment. Um, we we set up a remote back office uh, for a financial services company where I was working, and um, and I got a few requests from some friends who had smaller businesses and were and asked me if I could do something similar for them. So I did that sort of ad hoc, and um, I thought mm, this sounds like fun, um, and uh, it kind of just spurred me to set up my own. Uh, outsourcing business from there and that's how it's done well done so you were just as your personal background then you you're sitting in the uk you have an accounting background is that right and you were previously sort of running an accounting firm yeah that's right so um actually my my journey is a bit um i'm a business person so you kind of go where the opportunities are 
And um, four years ago, I, I I went to Dubai, and there was a the VAT system was being introduced. Uh, four years now? No, sorry, six years ago. Lose track of time. Um, so six years ago, VAT was just being introduced into the UAE, and I thought, right, this sounds like fun. Um, I can't, everyone's going to need accounting, and I had an accounting background. I thought, let's set up an accounting firm. And I set up an accounting, I got an accounting license, set up an accounting firm in Dubai, and hired a few local accountants, um, recruited accountants who just so happened to be out of Pakistan, um, and they were looking for jobs in Dubai. Um, so I set that business up, and thereafter, um, I moved back to the UK. So I was going back and forth, and then... I, at a certain point, I just settled back into the UK. And the accountants who were doing a decent job, had, we had a decent office there, uh, about, we had four, four or five staff. And what I found was that they were all from Lahore in Pakistan, right? It's just a coincidence, I suppose, because they introduced each other as I was growing the business. And then I asked them, would, would you like to work? You know, all you do is come to the office and work from the office, right? Would you like to go back to Lahore and work from there? And and they were quite happy to do that. So I offered them the opportunity to go back. They were they went back to Pakistan. We got a little office in Lahore, and and only the business development manager stayed in Dubai. So I was able to downsize my overheads and costs, and also negotiate a lower salary with them. Um, that kind of got me into the whole idea of remote working and remote management. Mm. I've spent a little bit of time myself in um, Dubai, and you know, it, it's a it's a city or country of migrants, isn't it? You know, it's about ninety percent expats from every country imaginable. Yeah. And I, you know, being an outsourcing myself, like there's a lot of Filipinos, there's a lot of Indians, Pakistanis, and aside from, of course, the physical jobs. I do wonder why half of them are sitting there when actually you could employ those Filipinos, you could employ those Indians and Pakistanis uh, from, you know, have them still sitting in India, Philippines yeah. and Pakistan. It's incredible, yeah? Yet, yet it's, you know, traditions still sort of are in place. But this is a, a country or city of, you know, it's only very, very new. And all of this migration has only happened in the last sort of, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Um, so I, I am still quite astounded when I see all these people mm. having migrated, doing jobs from a computer that they could easily do back in their home. So it's interesting you notice that, you know, in actually happening in practice. Yeah, I think the, the problem is that it, it does happen in, in very small doses, but because there's there's very little trust, because at the end of the day, Dubai is a very, uh, as you said, a transient country right mm -hmm. uh, or city so everybody once they establish trust there's more chances of saying to somebody well do you want to you know okay i'll go and work from here i'll go and work from there but in the in the starting there is very very little trust right, right. so the the owner of the business he might have come from canada and then you know he's in Canada now. He's you know he, so he's in Dubai now. He's he's still he's still getting finding himself right. Um, and then for him to then start outsourcing or remote staffing from Dubai itself it, it, it poses a challenge. Whereas 
the mindset is, right, I'll have a, a guy come in the office and work from here. Whereas in the UK, you live in, you know, or, or wherever you are in the world, if you spend 20, 30 years, everything else is is stable or static. And your only variable is outsourcing your some of your work. I don't know if, mm. does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. You need some sort of foundation of stability. Otherwise, uh, I mean, exactly. it, it fundamentally freaks people out, doesn't it? Because... Mm. Uh, there's a lot of companies now, especially digital companies, you know, especially if you're a website or a publisher and things like that, like you actually don't need a, a state or a country or an office or, you know, and, and people can just work globally and from anywhere, logging in, working remotely. It's incredible yet, you know, but for most people, that's that's pretty difficult to get your head around. You know? Yeah, um, one of the challenges... Um of of remote working um, or building a remote team is is about trust okay so once you once you have that once you can build once you can let go of yourself to trust other people first and foremost right so it's not always about can you trust other people it's about you putting your trust into uh, just saying that yeah I can trust a person right now you might get it wrong of course but in in large people uh, and professional people and remote staff are fairly trustworthy right that's mm. been my experience right i've had i've had a number of freelancers i've worked with and they're always like yeah no problem just pay me we'll, we'll sort the payment out later we'll sort the payment out you know there's a lot of you can put it's kind of putting the that human faith in people you know and uh, having faith in 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 other people, and once you get over that challenge, that yes, you can trust other people, it, it just becomes a lot easier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's business generally, isn't it? And you know, it, it requires layers of trust. And I think the prob the issue with outsourcing is is it really challenges those layers, especially when you're sort of expected to um, rely on trust on people that are in a different country a different culture and sort of many thousands of kilometers away you're meant to trust them with your precious uh, processes uh, it it is difficult yeah. you know and i think it's taken a couple of decades for people to kind of get used to the concept but slowly it, it happens doesn't it yeah i mean data data is a big challenge privacy laws create challenges um and yes, trust is the biggest one. So, so you've got a person who works um, thousand miles away. Um, how do you know they're working? How do you know that your data is safe? These are the these are the challenges that we had when we set up our business. They were the the, the first things that we had to overcome. And so you've got you know uh, just to explain about how winners operate. We put in place um, all the legal documentation that's required to take off all the requirements from the local operator. So I was, we have the commissioner's office, the ICO, and they have a very straightforward process, which not many people are aware of, right? So, so you've got to put in the legal documents in place with, with the company in the UK and the company overseas. And, 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 they do go through a few tick boxes that you have to do this, you must have this, you must have that. Once you've done that, you've met the legal laws, right? So legal laws are not created to prevent 
um, people from uh, outsourcing, for example. So data laws are not created to prevent people from sharing data. They're created to um, improve uh, the security of how you share data. Mm. Yeah. And we get a lot of clients who come in and say, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, you can't do that. Well, yes, you can, because the commission's office have designed a process on how you can do that. Okay. So that's your, your first thing. The second thing is that we don't have people working remote. We have people working from a business center in Pakistan. And every country has their local challenges when operating in the business environment. Pakistan's local challenges are electricity, right? So continuous electricity, okay? Um, in summer, we have heat. So we have extreme heat in the summer. But these two problems are easily overcome by creating, by placing a generator at the business center, right? And having AC units who, who are then powered by a more powerful generator. And we quickly learned those problems. You know, yeah. yeah, so so, so and, now... And people take this for granted in the West, don't they? And they don't understand the infrastructure required mm. to get offshore operations running smoothly. Like, you need backups on backups and, you know, <laughs> yes. a lot of things that is taken for granted. And then, of course, with those backups, there's a lot of expense. Um, of course. So as you say, like, there, is, there is a lot of infrastructure involved in getting these things running smoothly so that there is no... No downtime. So let's let's have a chat about you know your journey with winners then. So just speed us through the timeline. When did you sort of click on to winners as being you know your next gig? And how have you gone from them then? You 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 settled on accounting as a sort of core function for that role, or you went broader into generalist functions? Yes, yeah, so um, we started um, so my journey starts back in my last employment where um, I was running an insolvency firm. Um, so my job was head of post appointment, which requires us to vet every person that goes into an insolvency. Okay. So we needed um, sort of like a accounting specialist who understood income and expenditure and wouldn't make any mistakes whilst they're calculating people's um, uh, affordability. And the business was growing aggressively, so we had to set up a little centre that would alleviate some of the overheads that we were gaining here in the UK. So that kind of got me into the accounting, back into the accounting space, I should say. And from there, um, I just kind of started with, um, when I decided to leave my job and start the remote staffing business, just kind of started with accountants, right? Um, but accountants are a, a tough gig to crack, right? Because they're extremely busy um, professionals um, and business owners. And to get time with them is the first challenge, let alone present your proposition, right? Mm. So, so it's an easy... And, and people often under... Um, like, don't, they... Don't give it as much credit, but, you know, it, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, that accountants use offshore accountants, but actually what they're not considering is the complexity of selling into that industry. Is that industry ready to listen 
Um, you know, are they open to having accountants? And is there sort of regulatory complexity that might also discourage that? So there's a lot of factors when sort of setting up a business, isn't there? You know, it, the concept might seem absolutely perfect, but then the reception from the prospective clients might be icy cold. And it, it, it's funny, you, you know, that you maybe experienced that. Yeah, um, most of the... Most of the um it's like accounting has been, you know, accountants have been outsourcing for probably well over 10 years, right? But that's probably f- less than 5% of the market. Um, and, and the rest of them deal in very paper-heavy uh, processes. However, in the last sort of like three, four, four years, um, the UK government's launched an initiative called MTD, Making Tax Digital. Um, and that's kind of pushing accountants to become 100% digital. So right. that then opens itself up to, well, hang on a second, you know what, right? Like this is every single thing you're going to do now is online. Therefore, there is no need for a client. Well, there is a legal requirement for clients not to bring in paperwork. They can no longer do accounting on paper, right? Right. So that itself would be common sense to people like yourself and myself and you'd be like right this is great you know like now you can you can hire somebody uh, overseas but honestly out of 30 40 conversations that i have with accountants most of them are just somehow just don't accept that yeah it can be done right or because i mean some people have a passion for culture so they want to create a culture internally but a lot of those people that struggle um will still take work on themselves and and this is this is the thing that surprises me is that people are willing to spend years of their life working, becoming professionals um, and building a business and then still work for something, run a, run a job which can be outsourced at three, four, five dollars an hour and they belittle themselves to that level, right? That... So I think that comes down to process management. So, so not really valuing, you know, their, yeah. their time when, when you can get the majority of those tasks done, um, you know, for yeah. significantly cheaper if you build proper processes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like all of this, all of evolution is playing into the outsourcing industry though, isn't it? You know, as once, you know, it, it's a difficult process, but thankfully there's someone that is forcing accountants to go digital. And once, you know they have eventually made it kicking and screaming when they are digital it's actually significantly easier for them to then take the step to offshore isn't it so it all plays into the and you know and even asynchronous and things like that it all eventually plays into sort of global employment doesn't it 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 becomes it becomes exactly nearer inevitable than where it began sort of 10 to 20 years ago yeah so if I, if I tell you a little story about an accountant who approached us and he said, um, I need somebody to answer the calls, okay? And, and I said to him, right, how many, so we worked out how many calls he's taken a day, right? And he said, right, I'm doing about, I need somebody to answer six calls a day. So he wanted some, he wanted to outsource six calls being answered a day because he thought he was just, he didn't have the time. And why he didn't have the time was because he was really busy working, right? Doing accounting work. So then so then I said to him, well, hang on a second. 
how many staff do you have? He said, two staff. I said, if I give you a full-time employee to do your accounting work, you'll get 184 hours. And what you're trying to save is 30 minutes, whereas I can give you eight hours a day back. And he's like, how? And I explained to him the whole concept of staff augmentation, where he would push his work down to his employees and his employees would push the work down to somebody overseas. So this is a natural evolvement of where, you know, outsourcing or how outsourcing should take place within the small business environment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it is uh, small businesses are sort of slow to change really, aren't they? Um, It really does take a lot of convincing and cajoling and, and, you know, it's crazy that to us it just seems so inevitable. So coming back to Winners then, what is, just give us a quick timeline. When did you set up Winners uh, and what's the progression been like? What's that sort of... A uh, quick snapshot, like yeah. So we set up in December two thousand twenty twenty one, right? Um, that was the kind of when I started setting up the website and everything. So um, I remember that that was a when I finished my job. I thought, right, I'm going to take some time out, right? So time out was like, okay, right, I spend the next one month concepting the business, and didn't really take much time out. But yeah, so January we launched. Um, if you remember, I said that we had, I had a couple of friends who, who, who'd already asked for outsourcing services. So I kind of reversed that that their stuff into a small center that I rented in Pakistan. And probably like many other um, outsourcing companies, we were working out of a, a co-working space. And that itself were... Pr- gave us a lot of problems. Um, we couldn't control the bandwidth on the internet usage. We couldn't control the the AC units. And, you know, they would turn the AC off whenever there was a power surge, etc. Uh, um, and we couldn't control the facilities. So, you know, it was the hygiene and things. So what we decided very early um, was, right, we're going to get our own building, right? Now... This is a challenge for any business, right? When you want an office, do you get a big office with visions for the future or do you get a small office that meets your current demands? Um, after a th- bit of thought, we thought, right, we'll just get a big D- office. That sounds a little bit like jumping out of the fire and into the, out of the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> like, yeah. could, you not have, could you not have just sourced a better, higher quality work, like co-working space? Because I assume now you're going to sort of uh, come across the complexities of getting your own office and setting all of that stuff up and then having a budget and fitting it out. And, right. Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, so exactly. So perfect point. Um, and I had to make that decision. And I, I actually remember, the, you know, it took me a week to think about it. And, you know, when you listen to all these YouTube, pod, uh, YouTube videos, they say, like, you know, if something's important, take longer to think about it, right? Um so yeah, it was not just the setup, it's the massive cost in setting up the center and things like that. And I just thought, you know what, am I doing this for the short term or am I doing this for the long term, right? And if I'm doing it, I need to do it right. And, and you're right in what you're saying that I, you could have just gone to a better business center, maybe spent three, six months there and moved on because there are monthly contracts, right? Um, but... I just decided, right, we'll get a bigger office. So we went and got our own 
detached building. Um, it's a villa in the commercial district of Lahore. Um, and we just thought, right, let's just, just make it, you know, let's just go for it. Um, nice. Luckily, it paid off. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we did was we took the space, but we we're only we're only furnishing the space as the demand requires it. So we kind of like are working with our own within our own space. With outsourcing businesses, though, you you always have the complexity, and outsourcing again, sort of clients don't necessarily realise this, but there's really heavy capex requirements on outsourcing businesses in that you have to set up the facilities certainly before you know kind of remote was feasible you had to set up all the facilities you know mostly all the desks all the hardware all the internet connection before you actually had requirement for that and then you had to as quickly as possible set up that fill the capacity um quickly otherwise you would be in the red you know having all yeah. these overheads but then the problem is if you fill up that capacity too quickly then you've probably got too small a space at the beginning and then you need to start again um, uh. like building your next space going through that whole capex requirement again and it's it can be super lumpy until you then go and get a bigger property you really sort of overextend yourself and then maybe a couple of clients back out and then you can't fill that property, and then you're sort of, you know, in distress. It, it's um, it's a typical sort of lumpy capex heavy business in that regard, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, from the outset, it seems like you're making, you know, when you're remote staffing or offering outsourcing services, and you've got to make a margin on the price that you charge to the salaries that you pay, and everyone assumes that it's a huge profit profitable it's a very profitable business but international competition um forces you to make marginal profits right it's not a huge huge profitable business i mean you're in, right, you're in the game and you probably understand that fairly well um so um but your cost yes your your operating costs or your capital costs before you when you take on a client can mean that it can take three to six months sometimes to actually realize a net profit per seat per month. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if, if you're spending a lot of money up front to develop an office and fit out everything, and then you have the, the customer acquisition cost of bringing on each new client or each new seat, and then, of course, those have their own paybacks as well, uh, it is. It's cash hungry, isn't it? And as you say, like the the margins are capped because of the competition, and it's getting increasingly exactly. commoditized now, isn't it? In that you know, exactly, you, yes, you're not really, you know, you based in Pakistan selling to the UK, you're not really competing against um, a UK salary. You're actually just competing against all of the Pakistani, Indian, yeah. Philippine other options, aren't you? So it becomes its own sort of pricing bracket. Yeah, and you know what, Derek? I, I really wish I understood that when I started out because that's exactly what I thought I was not doing is competing with other international players, right? But um, so I was going to people say, well, it costs, you know, you're paying this much and I'm going to charge you this much. And then I'd, I'd get told, well, hang on, I can get it for this much. I'm like, well, you're not getting it for that much, but I understand what you're saying, right? Mm. Um 
what you do, right? So, so you introduce, you, you create a, a, a need for your services only to still be competing with somebody online who's advertising a rate that that customer was never going to take anyway, but you're now not matching to his current um, overheads. You're matching to somebody else's international rates. Yeah. But that's yeah. the way it is. <laughs> but there's also find as well, a, a lot of people that are attracted to outsourcing, a lot of, you know, early stage business owners, small entrepreneurs, they, they know more about outsourcing than your typical sort of SME or enterprise employer. And so you get a lot of the small time entrepreneurs that they can't afford to hire standard staffing from the UK. Their total budget is 500 bucks a month for a full-time employee. And so they become by default, you know, offshore employers only. And then they have the tiniest of budgets, you know, and they don't allow within that budget for, um, you know, overhead, proper employment costs, healthcare uh, facilities, hardware, and all of that sort of stuff. So it, the market sort of bifurcates, you know, you have the proper sort of business owners paying, I don't know, 5,000 pounds a month for a proper UK employee. And then you have the sort of small time entrepreneur that can only afford $500 a month uh, for an offshore employee, you know, and, and it becomes tight, doesn't it? Yeah. And to be honest with you, by hook or chance, that's the kind of market that we're currently serving um so i understand exactly and that's a bit of a maturity issue as well you know and those those small small time entrepreneurs that can only afford 500 dollars, then actually the the value proposition is not there for them because they can only afford 500 and and that employee has to be the best highest performing unicorn employee ever (laughs) otherwise their business collapses and so you know there's not much value for them whereas there is true value proposition for the SME employer of 50 people with, you know, their staff sitting in the middle of London, paying an average of, you know, 5,000 pounds a month all in, there's huge value proposition. So it's just really connecting with those people and showing them that value uh, and and getting them to to take a, you know, take a go, have a go. Yeah, I mean, these... To be honest with you, outsourcing makes sense at almost every level. Um, although we specialize in accounting and virtual assistance, we do have some software developers even hired out. Um, and they, it, it totally makes sense at most levels. However, sometimes people have a, they might have tried it, right? But what they'll have done is exactly what you're saying. Because they have a small budget, they'll kind of go to your low-cost operators who don't have the systems and processes in place to to, to make the experience um, work and enjoyable. And they'll have come away saying, well, you know, this happened and that happened. So that then creates that negative stigmatism around outsourcing. So, so, so yeah, so, so you either spend the money and do it right or people trying to do it on the fly and, and that's when it does go wrong and it does create that you know that negative feeling yeah the industry has a lot to battle against in terms of those negative connotations and because it really does happen the industry collectively disappoints a lot of clients a oh, lot yeah, of businesses true. very um, true 
you know, and, and again, I, I think it's, it's really important to remind clients that these are emerging markets that, you know, they have underdeveloped educational yeah. systems. And so a large proportion of the, of the market, of the employees, of the workforce are of low capability. And if you put them into a fast moving Western business, they won't cope. And, you know, it's really important to sort of acknowledge that. And so you need to pick from the best of the bunch. Uh, you need to get that top 1%, top 5% for them to even, you know, just be able to perform at a super high level. Um, yeah, and- we also have to be able to distinguish between freelancing and outsourcing, right? Th- these are not the same two things, yeah. right? You get a lot of people hire freelancers and call it outsourcing. So you've got a guy um, or a couple of people working from home Okay, and they're like, yeah, I'm outsourcing. I've got a couple of guys working for me. Okay, but they work from home, right? So that means that they've got constant interruptions. They're trying to juggle their family lives and everything else and still work for you. Um, How's that going? Oh, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But in reality, it's probably not okay, right? Whereas outsourcing centers provide massive value in terms of um, technology, supervision, employee well-being, um, and uh, systems and security. So there's a a huge amount of um, uh, benefits of using an outsourcing company. um, And and then therefore, of course, that price that they then charge will have a markup on the employee as opposed to paying that employee directly to work from his home, right? But that's that's the right way of doing outsourcing, whereas there are platforms for freelancing. But yeah, there is this space where people try to hire themselves and say to somebody, right, work at home, work for me. I don't know if that really works. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I, I draw comparisons with the US or the UK and, you know, places that the client themselves are more familiar with, you know, you get professionals in the square mile that have got, you know, proper qualifications, they dress up, they wear a suit, um, and they go to work every morning. And, you know, they, you know, they're going to be hard workers, you know, that they've worked hard to get where they got. Um, And with that comes a lot of sort of trust and capability. And, and equally, in the UK, in London, you know, you, you have your sort of part-time uni students that have never really properly sort of hit the professional ladder um, and will do a few side gigs here and there. You know, it, it occurs in the yeah. UK, it occurs in the US, and that's exactly the sort of job market um, in Pakistan as well. And critically, though, you've got to pick from the, the top of the bunch if you are going to these emerging markets because the, the sort of the, the distribution um, is is sort of in favor of low performing, less quality people. Um, so it's just kind of getting that across to people, isn't it? And and critically as well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's really sort of ensuring that people shoot to save 50%, you know, save 40%. And that's pretty amazing. Don't, don't shoot to save 90%. And then you're dealing with you know, low capability, low reliability, low scalability issues. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to a partner from the states, and and um, we're we're looking at partnering up with a company in the US, and 
And they've got a small setup in Pakistan, which is where we operate out of. And, um, and we were comparing salaries. And the salaries that he was citing was just not practical, right? And I, I've not heard of salaries like that. I mean, our salaries operate around the four or $500 mark. But they were talking about salaries almost half of what we were paying. Um, and when I asked him the co- one question, what's your staff turnover like? Um, he goes, it's quite high, actually. And I said, well, there's a reason for it. And, and it's because people are using the, bit, the the opportunity that they were offering as a stepping stone. Mm. Right? So, What sort of roles were they? Were they like agent roles or were they... Oh, virtual assistant. Virtual assistant. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. I, and they had... Turnover is turnover on both sides, right? They churn on both sides. Their customers leaving because they weren't happy with the quality, and they had staff leaving. The good staff who who were being who were where clients were happy were leaving because they're probably most likely getting paid better salary somewhere else. And, yeah. and this is driven very you know in the current climate that we're in, and, and I'm sure there's very few countries that are. Um, say uh, not experiencing the cost uh, rising cost of living yeah it's 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 short-sighted isn't it you know you you've got to you've got to sort of not think of like the pennies you you've got to think of the dollars and and spend a bit more and because otherwise the compromise in in quality and reliability is just just crazy can you give us a, a quick overview like what are typical salaries for typical roles in pakistan like um for like an agent yeah, sure. or developer for an accountant salaries are like you know i mean i can give you an average of salaries right so you can you can hire a, a fully qualified acc accountant um i mean people start at like 500 dollars um, some now what we're finding is that people that we were hiring at $500 now demand seven, $800. Okay. And that's in the last six months. So in order for us to actually hire, right, we're having to pay or we're having to pay much higher salaries today than we were six months ago. Right. Um, a good qualified, you know, very experienced, Phenomenal talent would probably put you into the nine hundred, one thousand dollar mark. Yeah, which right. would, in comparable terms to the UK, um, you'd probably be paying four, three between three and four thousand dollars. So there's still a massive uh, saving there um, on a like for like comparison. Mm. Mm. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, because cost of living is, you know, significantly cheaper, exactly. of course. And, and it yes. just, um, I mean, I've been asked if that's legal, what we're doing. And I, and I say to somebody, well, how much did you pay for your meal? Um, let's say yesterday, or if you went out for a meal, how much do you, would you expect to pay for a meal? And the answer is like, well, you know, a meal for two, $40, right? And um I said, well, a meal for two in Pakistan will cost $10. Is that is there something wrong with that? So 
you know, sometimes people think that, ah, oh, you know, like maybe you've locked, you've got these guys locked up in a, you know, in a cell <laughs> working for you or something, but no, it's just the cost of living, right? Like it's, it's, it's a quarter of what we pay and therefore salaries are a quarter of what you pay. It's, it makes common They're sense. They're indexes, aren't they? The purchasing power parity, PPP, mm-hmm. and they're indexes of, uh, you know, how much things cost in various countries. And it does, it, you know, it varies. Like it varies, like the cheap countries will be 10x cheaper than the yes. expensive countries. And, yes. you know, surprise, surprise, the salaries then are about 10x cheaper than the expensive countries. Yeah. Like it's all yeah. I mean, we're lucky. We're, we're fairly lucky. Um, I think Pakistan is still one of those countries where the cost of living is still fairly low, you know, in comparison to um, India and Philippines, we still have a fairly low cost of living. Um, and what is the what are the education levels like? Like you, you're developing a lot of graduates every year. Is it managing to develop, you know, coders, developers, technical skills? And what is the the English like generally within the? Yeah. So these are these are the. I mean, English. Or what's the accent like? So the accent is always the first barrier that we have mm-hmm. to overcome. And inevitably, there will be accents. You know, there, there's some countries where you have very little accent. Um, but Pakistan is, is a country where, there, yes, people do have a slight accent. But at the same time, we're able to hunt the right people or recruit the right candidates for those um, front-end uh, clients, you know, the, the clients that want front-end staff, okay? But, uh, and we're able to overcome those challenges if that's that's something that, you know, our clients want. Um, we have done that successfully. Um, with regards to education, um, I mean, in the general, I'm not too aware, but when it comes to my own se- se- sectors like accounting, um you, Pakistan is the number two, um, number two in terms of membership for the uh, for ACCA accountants. And that serves me very well, especially for Lahore. There's there's an abundance of um, ACCA qualified accountants. Um, in fact, I think last year or maybe the year, uh, yeah, last year, uh, the top sort of like ten graduates, uh, ten exam um, winners were. For, uh, six of them were from Pakistan, four of them uh, having the, the highest, like breaking the records for the highest marks in an accounting exam for the uh, of the ACCA. Wow. So I'm quite lucky and in that way. From, a, from an accounting perspective, like all countries have different accounting standards mm. or, mm. you know, certainly. Um, and it's interesting that Dubai, going back to the beginning of our discussion, is sort of um, shadowing the, the UK system a little bit. But, yes. Um, uh, for the audience, like generally, if a qualified accountant has, um, you know, passed their sort of chartered exams, how much work would it take them to build familiarity with a different accounting system? You know, whether it's UK, Australian, US, is it kind of a simple sort of recalibrating to the new standards or is it sort of learning a whole new language? Okay, so accounting has something called IFRS, which is International Accounting Standards, right? So most countries will accept the IFRS accounting 
system. Okay, it's just when you get into the personal tax and certain um, corporate tax um, uh, calculations that it varies. However, what you'll find is that most outsourcing accountancy sort of um, work takes place up to draft accounts. Okay, now if you want to adjust somebody into a local sort of market, um, it it probably wouldn't take much longer to get that person to that level, right? So Pakistan's mirrors, uh, UK, and as you said, Dubai. Um, but the Philippines are very closely kind of, uh, mirroring like this, like the States, um, where they call CAs and yeah. But up to bookkeeping level, it kind of generally works according to IFRS, right? International accounting standards. So it, kind of works and I, I know people I know accountants in Pakistan that have done accounting for clients in the US I mean I don't have much knowledge of the US accounting um, processes and what the differences are but generally income expenditure is done to IFRS standards across the board right right fascinating and so what uh, you know, you got into this outsourcing. The game is a little bit different to what you, you know, maybe imagine looking from afar. Um, you're sticking with it. Like, what are your uh, ambitions for the next couple of years ahead? Yeah, so um, I started with the dream was, the vision was that I get to do a little bit of travel back to Pakistan, which is where my parents are from, um, build a build a build a outsourcing center that I can help people get jobs, you know, get, and we do pay slightly higher salaries than the local market, you know, create my own business center and maybe help people um, improve, right? So at some point there might be a little sort of like um, um, incubator for, for, for people that want to get into working for overseas clients, right? And with the, um, the with the introduction of AI and the whole chat GPT thing, it, it, it's made it a lot more realistic for me to help people to get to a level that they may not have been able to do in the local market, right? So I want to open up this um, business center idea and, and scale it a little bit better and of, and then start a sort of like a, a apprenticeship sort of model which doesn't exist in, in these countries. I, d I don't know if it does in a place like Philippines, but I know in Pakistan, there isn't a space that helps people, you know, to get into jobs and uh, reach a profession. It's either you go to college, you pay for it, and you get a job. There isn't this stepping stone sort of process in place. And I'd love to be able to do something like that in the near future. Fantastic. And you feel good about the industry? You feel good about your growth prospects over the next period yeah it's the exciting exciting times um i mean uh it, it, it's enjoyable it's fun it's helping clients both people win you know the employee wins the client wins um you know yeah it, it, i'm really enjoying outsourcing and i feel like the prospects are fantastic at the moment um technology has made it so much easier um, you know, as you know, collaboration tools are being invented. There's hundreds, thousands of 
um, just AI tools being brought out onto the market that are there to help international um, employees compete with um, across the board, you know. So it's making things like life is becoming a lot easier. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, digital, the digital space is becoming a lot more commoditized than ever before. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always, uh, you know, it, 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 everything's new. Like, it, it never gets easier, does it? You know, because you, you're not competing against sort of anything standard. You're competing against everyone else that's competing against you. So it's incredible that, that nothing really ever gets easier. But it's the challenge remains, which is <laughs> which is the exciting bit. Ali, thank you so much. So, of course, I encourage people to get in touch. If anyone wants to know more about winners or get in touch, how can they do that? Yeah, we have a website. Um, it's it's pronounced winners, but it's spelled w i n n o r s. dot co. dot uk, um, and um, uh, yeah, they can just visit the website. My calendar link is on there, and booking a meeting with me without any um, complications. Ali, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Derek. Thank you. That was Ali Afsal. He is the founder and head of growth for Winners Remote Staff. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, then just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.